Amen, God. We praise your holy name this morning. Lord, open our eyes again to the beauty and the majesty of who you are and what you did on the first Christmas, God. Lord, as we come and gather in fellowship, let this not be just one of those days that we bring ourselves to church because it's Christmas. But rather, God, let our hearts honor you today because of the faith that we have. We truly believe, God, that you did come down, that the Son of God did become a man like one of us. And for what? To die in our place. To save us from the penalty of our sin. So that we could become sons of God. So that we could become forgiven people. Free people. Lord, awaken us again, God, if we're just here because it's Christmas. Awaken us again, God, to the beauty of this truth, this reality. That you came for us. You went to great lengths, God, to be with us, to save us, to make yourself known to us. And Lord, in your presence, God, let there be fullness of joy to all the hearts, God, who are seeking you. You see them. The Lord sees what's going on on the inside. He sees your heart. Doesn't matter what you look like on the outside, how put together you look like on the outside. But he sees what's going on in here, and that's where he wants to do his work in here and if you would open up your heart just like Mary just like Mary did when the angel came and announced the news of Jesus's birth to her as surprising and shocking as that news was she had doubts but she opened up her heart she opened her heart to the possibility that God would truly accomplish this miracle, not just for her, but for humanity. And here we are. If you would open up your heart, you see God already sees it, but he can't do anything unless you let him. Un unless you are willing to take the risk, put your trust in him and say, God, do what you only you can do do what you need to do if you say yes to God then you too can experience that great miracle he came for he is knocking at the door of your heart and so God in your presence Holy Spirit I ask that you help us with our faith help us to respond to your word with faith and trust.
knowing that if you came for us, it is because you love us and you want everything for our good. In Jesus' name, as one church we say, amen, amen. Praise God. You may be seated, everybody. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. It's wonderful to see you all this morning. I see some visitors as well with us. I know some of you have come from overseas. I just want to welcome you. A lot of us here are Indonesians as well, and the ushers have let me know that today we have a translator available from English to Indonesia. So if you would like or if you prefer to have a translation device, please let the ushers know. You can simply raise your hand and an usher will come to you and give you a translation device. We have somebody translating this morning or this afternoon as we will see. But otherwise, Merry Christmas again. I think for those of you who know me personally, you know the enthusiasm I have for Christmas. I've been celebrating Christmas for more than a month now. I know that our life group celebrated Christmas a month ago already because a lot of them were going to go back overseas and celebrate Christmas with their families. So we've been celebrating Christmas for a month now, but what relief it is that Christmas has finally dawned on us this year and we get to celebrate that with our children. With, I got to celebrate that with my children, with my family. Um, it's always a wonderful time, but let me tell you, it's always also quite a tiring time, especially for parents. The other day, I mean, a week ago, I was spending Christmas with my good friends. We've been friends for more than 18 years now. It's been 18 years since high school, and we've been friends since year eight, okay? So don't try to calculate my age, but uh, it's been a while. It's been a minute. Um, and we gather together. A lot of us already have children. Um, I myself have two now, and... and um, let me tell you, Christmas together has become a lot more expensive um, because that means with Secret Santas, um, I've got, I've become a Secret Santa now for four. So that's myself, my husband, and my two kids. Um, but it's always so much fun. And I remember when we were deciding what to bring um, for our little Christmas lunch. Uh, one thing that I decided to bring was cookies, but not for the children, for the parents. Because one thing that parents do do a lot of work is uh, wrapping up presents, taking the role of Santa uh, during Christmas. And I said, you know, Santa gets cookies, so this is cookies for us parents. And he brought me to a story that I had, how many years now? Yeah, three years ago when... Uh, Levi's, my, my firstborn, Levi's kinder teacher pulled Edwin over one time after school. It was closed at the end of the year. He pulled him over and he said, hey, um, by the way, um, Levi's been telling everyone that there's no Santa. Now, this is our firstborn. This is our first, you know, we want to raise him right as Christian parents, as God-fearing parents. And this is something we've instilled in him every Christmas. We love Christmas, but we make sure we celebrate Christmas because of Jesus. And so this is something that we've taught him growing up. But let me tell you, it was quite horrific to hear that he had been 
dismantling a lot of his friends' ideas and, and beliefs about Santa at kinder. He's been, we saw it perhaps, you could see it as evangelism at one point, but for a lot of parents, they were horrified. I know one of his good friends, Abby, she's Caucasian and, and her parents do a lot of work to make sure she keeps the wonder of Christmas and Santa alive. And so she could not believe it. She could not believe that Santa was not real. And she says, that's a lie. That's a lie. He is real. And, and Levi being very focused on just what's true and, and what's right. If you know Levi, he's very, um, he, he likes formulas. He likes things that are A plus B equals C. He, he likes things that are very consistent. He's like, no, no, no. It's not true. It's not true. Jesus is the one we should be celebrating for Christmas. <laughs> but if we really think about it, um, you know, as, as, especially in Australia, the, 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 the Santa culture is pretty strong. Um, I know of parents that um, work really hard on Christmas Eve to wrap up presents for their kids. So it seems as if Santa really did drop down an imaginal, like who has a chimney nowadays? Nobody's got a chimney because it's old school, but somehow Santa breaks into their home and drops the presents under the tree. And they try to keep this wonder, this dream alive for as long as possible. And then it's as if when we become adults and we realize it's not true, we lose a little bit of that magic, don't we? We lose a little bit. If anybody grew up, I'm sorry if this is a spoiler for anyone, by the way, just in case. But, but considering we're all mostly Asian here, I think it's not a spoiler at all. But, um, but it, at one point, it's as if we kind of lose the wonder of Christmas. And I saw an article the other day by news.com.au that, um, you know, the writer was saying that, that there are some truths about Jesus and his existence, but not everything could be true. Like how is a virgin birth possible? And how is this fact possible? How, that angels, angels, you're saying that angels are real? How is that possible? And so he tries, this, this writer tries to talk about Christmas from a very rational point of view. But let me tell you, that also takes away the wonder of Christmas. Because the reality of it all is if we believe what the Bible says about Christmas, it is magical. It is something, a story that leaves us in awe and wonder. And every year we come and celebrate in that wonder, in that awe again. If we turn to John chapter 1, which we probably go through every Christmas as I have been through this this word a couple of times, but let us go back again to the wonder and the awe of Christmas. John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4, and then verse 14. It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. 
And then in verse 14, here's where it gets awesome. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. If nations could try to keep alive the, the, the idea of Chris, of, of Santa, which sounds impossible if you really think about it. Here, the Bible is saying us something that uh, is telling us a reality that may equally sound impossible, but claims to be true. And until today, we are celebrating this truth. That the wonder of Christmas is in fact the incarnation of God. Is God becoming human. The birth of Jesus is the incarnation of God. That means at a particular point in history, the word, the same word that created the universe and put together the heavens, it put on flesh and blood and entered into our world. God comes into humanity as an actual man, a real man. He had a particular height. He had a particular head of hair and color of hair as well. He spoke a particular language. God comes into our humanity, but not only that, God comes into our vulnerability. God enters into our reality. You see, the thing about fish is that fish never feel wet in water. Fish in water don't feel like there's something wrong. They don't feel wet. Why? Because they were made to live in water. Yet, if we were truly honest with ourselves, we cannot help but feel out of place in this world. We cannot help but feel like at some point in our lives that as we face this life, we feel a little wet. We feel like we're not meant to be here. Or is this really all there is? There is a dissatisfaction in our souls if we were truly to be honest. An emptiness that we long to feel, fill. And the idea that this is all there is, like there's no meaning beyond this, that doesn't satisfy us at all. That doesn't give us any contentment. C.S. Lewis, who wrote Narnia, he says, If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, 
that does not prove that you, the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were not meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing, to point us to what truly would satisfy us. And so if we find ourselves out of place in this world, it's pointing to the reality that you were created for a different one. Now the Bible tells us that there is a separation between our world and God's world. And that the reason that our world is falling apart, the reason why there is brokenness, the reason why century after century, we still don't have the solution for world peace. We still don't have the solution to keep, to keep this world from falling apart. We don't have it. There's just this constant darkness in our world. And every generation, there will be evil after evil after evil. And the Bible says that the reason that that is the case, that that is the reality in our world is because it has been separated from God's world. You see, how did this separation happen? Well, in Genesis chapter 3, it said that when sin entered into the world, when Adam and Eve first disobeyed God, they were cast out from God's garden. So our humanity's garden... And God's garden became separated. And there was a flaming sword that separated it so that humanity could no longer enter into God's garden. And so here is God's garden where everything stays bright and things become more new and things become um, um, even more beautiful and wonderful and glorious. And then there is humanity's garden where things become darker and things become older. And so this separation has happened because we have disobeyed God. If you've grown up as a Christian, you would know that as sin. And that's why we feel out of place because we were created to enjoy God's garden, not the garden we've created for ourselves. And that's why the injustice that we see, it disturbs us. It disgusts us. And that's why we find it hard to accept any suffering. You see, the problem of suffering, which we'll go through in a minute, if whatever worldview you have, atheism, whatever, Christian, that there's always this problem with pain and suffering, even more so in the atheistic worldview. Why? Because if everything was meaningless, why do you care that you suffer? Why do you care that other people suffer? They're meaningless. They have no value. Why should it matter to you or to me? See, that's where the atheistic worldview leads. 
If there is no God, well, there's no meaning and there's no value, dignity to our lives. So why is suffering so painful? Why does it matter that people suffer? And so the incarnation happened because God's not from our world. He's not from this world. And that's why he had to enter in. You see that void? Humanity couldn't cross over to God's garden, but God had to make a way to cross over to ours. And at the first Christmas, God comes into our world. The ideal comes into the reality. Light comes into the dark. Here are three things that the incarnation reveals to us about who God is. Number one, the incarnation reveals that God is not indifferent to our suffering. Like God truly cares. We know he cares because he came to do something about it. He came. He didn't just leave us. He didn't just abandon us. But he entered into our suffering to do something about it. John chapter 1 verse 5 says, The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. The birth of Christ means that God has not abandoned you. And no matter what you are going through, God is with you. Emmanuel. He did something about it. Through the incarnation, God shows how much he hates suffering and how much he loves you. The only way, the only way he could destroy suffering without destroying us was to deal with sin. That was the only way. If he just dealt with everything that was evil, we would have gone down with that because we sin. Because we're sinners. And unless we find a way to get into God's garden, there is no hope for humanity to be out of our sin. And so Jesus had to destroy suffering by first dealing with sin. And he voluntarily does this. He willingly does this. You see, there's a cause and effect relationship with sin and suffering. I think we all experience this. For example, we've done something wrong and we experience the consequences of that. That's, that's a very simple cause and effect relationship with suffering. And then there's this this cause and effect relationship with suffering on a global scale, on a bigger scale, where we experience suffering because of the sin of others and we experience it unfairly. Like we, it's just part of being in this fallen world, in this world where people are just sinful and selfish. And so we experience sin, not necessarily directly, but globally because Sorry, we experience suffering because globally there is sin. And Jesus' ultimate purpose in becoming flesh 
was so that he could die in our place. You see, on the cross, he sacrificed himself to save us from the judgment we deserve. He willingly took on our punishment for every evil thought, every evil word, every evil deed that you have ever done. He willingly took that in your place. He suffered the penalty on your behalf. And his death was not the end of the story. Three days later, Jesus was raised to life again. And he faced death to defeat it ultimately. That's why he did it. To defeat the power of sin and death in our lives. He paid for our sins so that we wouldn't have to. Emmanuel, God is with us. When we face suffering, we tend to think, I must have done something wrong. What is it that I've done? It must have been something. Maybe I'm just a bad person. But you see, the Bible doesn't say that only, good, that only bad people suffer. The Bible also says that good people suffer. It's really being part of being in this fallen world. So Jesus shows us how much he hates suffering by dealing with sin. And one day, as we sang before, he will come again and he will deal with evil once and for all. In the in-between, in the now, you have an opportunity, if you haven't before, to repent. To believe that there is salvation in Jesus Christ alone. As we live in the in-between, let this truth of the incarnation also shape how we see suffering, how we endure it. I think a lot of us, when we're going through this new year period, we're thinking about how we can get a better year. I don't know about you, but I, I'm, I never think about how can I get a worse year? Like, how can I suffer more next year? Nobody's thinking that. People are thinking, how can it be better? How can make, they make more money? How can they, you know, how people are thinking how they can make next year better. But let the incarnation of Christ shape your view of suffering and how you will endure it. Don't be afraid of it. It is part of our experience of living in this world. But know that Jesus chose to become like us. When you go through something difficult, it's always helpful to talk to someone who's walked the same path. Somebody who knows personally what you've been through. Jesus willingly went through the whole human experience for you, for me. He is the only God with wounds. Where in any other worldview do you see a God that has wounds? Do you see a God willingly take bullets for the people that they are calling to worship them? Where in any other worldview? God is a God with wounds. He knows what it's like to feel lonely. He knows what it's like when friends abandon him in, in time of need. And let me say to some of you here that you're never alone. That sorrow that you feel, sometimes we feel like it's isolating because only I feel it. It's unique to me. Well, let me tell you that Jesus has endured all sorts of suffering and he wants to carry you through it.
He wants to be with you in the midst of it all. Carrying you, strengthening you, lavishing his love upon you. He wants to carry your burdens. He lived with the whole brokenness in this world. When he carried the sins of the world, he literally for a moment carried those sins. He absorbed them in himself. And he experienced loss like us. He, ex he was tempted in every way and yet he never sinned. So not only can Jesus alone pull us out of sin, but he can carry whatever burden you are carrying. And so let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. The incarnation shows that Jesus hates suffering, but he loves you. Amen. And he wants to walk with you in your suffering. Don't lose hope. You know, one other thing that came to mind before was when the angel came to Mary. Like, we cannot assume that people in those days, I don't, I don't understand. Sometimes our people of this generation, we, think we, tend, we tend to think we're more intelligent than people of old. Like our IQ is somehow higher. And so sometimes when we think, oh, those people tend to believe in supernatural things. But nowadays, we don't believe in that stuff anymore. As if progression also equals higher IQ. I'm not saying that you may not have a higher IQ. But I'm just saying that that might not be the case. Like, what a proud view. That people of, of, of old were not as intelligent. And mind you, Mary was somebody who was taught in her culture to, to not believe things like God would become human. Like Jewish people did not even believe, until today don't believe Jesus is the Messiah. And so this young teenage Jewish girl, the angel comes to her and says, you will bear a child. You'll be a, you're still a virgin, I know that, but you're going to bear a child and he will be my child, the son of God. And of course she thinks, what? And then if you read the story in Luke, she goes through this progression of doubting, but then surrendering to God. And the angel says to her, for nothing is impossible. You see, if God would enter our world in the first place to deal with suffering, to deal with our sin, if he would do it because he loved you, know that because he did it, that nothing is impossible to. No matter what you are going through, you don't have to lose hope because nothing is impossible. The incarnation itself, itself shows that to us. Not only did he want to come, but he was able to come and born, be born as a baby. Number two, the incarnation reveals that God's greatness is seen in his humility. What makes God great? The pinnacle moment of Jesus Christ was being tortured to death on a Roman cross. What makes God great? Through the incarnation, God turned every expectation of what people thought of him upside down. You see, in the birth of Christ, if we look in Luke chapter 2, verse 2 to 7, 
you will read there that Mary and, and Joseph were refugees. Like they had to go back because of the census. They had to go back to Bethlehem. They had no place to stay. And so Jesus was born in a major, in an animal feeding area. You know, it's hard to comprehend the way in which God chose to enter our world because it doesn't align with our idea of power and greatness. Like I heard a speaker once say, if I was a king and I wanted to introduce my son to the world, I'd make a big deal out of it. Like all these players, FIFA players, these, the World Cup players, they're all flying on private jets. They're not, most of them are probably not mingling with commoners. <laughs> on a day-to-day -day basis, why? Because our idea of celebrityism and idea of greatness and power is that they become unapproachable and they become people who we look up to and could never become like. And that's not how God chose to introduce his son to this world. First, God became a baby. He didn't come as a grown man. He came as a baby, the all-powerful creator of the universe. He chose to become a dependent human being, a needy. If any parents know you out there, remember what it was like in the newborn stage. Jesus was a newborn at one point. Like you had to feed him. You had to change his nappy. He had to cry and learn how to speak, learn how to walk. He had to go through puberty. Jesus chose to experience all that. And here we see a God who would descend. A God who would become small. A God who would become vulnerable for us. Another thing is that Jesus was born to ordinary parents. Like God did not choose him for Jesus to be born in this royal palace made of gold. Instead, Jesus came into a poor family. He became an immediate refugee. God chose a simple, poor teenage girl. Like historians say that Mary would have been about 14 years old. And we know that she was very poor because the time when Jesus was circumcised and they needed to give an offering at the temple, they gave doves. They gave birds. That was the offering assigned to those, the poorest of the poor people. If you could not give a bigger animal sacrifice, you would give doves. You would give birds. And that's what Mary and Joseph gave. Jesus did not have nice clothes on. He was just wrapped in rags when he was born. There was no clothes for him. Just think about it for a moment. That the one who made the universe chose to give up the riches of heaven for you. He chose to take off the robe of glory to be wrapped in rags. He took the humble position of a slave instead of seeking to be impressive. Christmas turns the world's idea of greatness upside down. And we see this picture in another scene much later in Jesus' life. The night before Jesus died, he washes his disciples' feet. He grabs a cloth and puts it around his waist. Perhaps a very similar cloth to the one that was wrapped around him when he was born. And he washes his disciples' feet, taking a position of a slave. 
And he says, this is the example I want my believers, my followers to follow. It's challenging, isn't it? Because here we are thinking about 2023, bigger goals. Find, you know, we're all, there's a, there's a recession looming. And I think we're all scared about, but all of us, you know what we're scared? We're scared to be poor. Why? Because we think that to get where we are, we have to work hard. We have to be smart with our money. And here Jesus chooses to side with the poor. Here Jesus chooses to clothe himself in a poor person. Although he was the promised king, he came not to be served, but to serve. You know, it's not that God's kingdom is upside down. It's that this world value is upside down. This world is upside down. Like Jesus didn't have a lot of savings, a lot of investments. And here we're only thinking about wealth creation and, and how to, to, to get through these interest rates next year. Trust in the Lord. Will we have the faith to trust in a God who doesn't, act, who doesn't want us to suffer but would rather us to trust him and experience real riches of a spiritual life with him than materialism in this world. You see, he could be rich if he wanted to, but he chose not to, to show that a life would be great just with spiritual riches, not with physical riches. That's what Jesus showed in the incarnation. He came. As a poor person, he came in weakness. He came in smallness. And to anyone who is proud, you probably don't want to take the offer of salvation. But to anybody who would admit that you are weak, that you are in need of a savior, that offer of salvation is a free gift for you. It's free. And number three, lastly, the incarnation reveals that God wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. Back in Exodus, if you know a bit of the history in the Old Testament, there was a, a time where Moses asked to see God's glorious presence. But God said, be careful and gave him specific instructions because if you see me in my fullness of glory, you will die. That's what God said to Moses and yet we see Jesus at this point in history coming to us in a physical form that we can actually touch him that we can actually hear him speak that we can actually embrace him and Jesus today remains in human form fully God and fully human He came to be close to you, to be near you. When was the last time you prayed? Not just to ask God for something or to help God, or to ask God to help you with something, but to simply be with God. 
When was the last time you came into the presence of God simply because you wanted to be with God? There was no, there was no list. There was no worry or concern or problem. It was simply because you wanted to be in his presence. You see, God went through great lengths to be with you, to make himself known to you, to make himself approachable to you. And here we are content in our Christian life just to dispose of God, just to use God for a PR, just to use God for a new job, just to use God for a new whatever, whatever it is that we want. And yet we neglect the fact that he came to simply be with you. Jesus came so that you would know him, so that you could be close. So the incarnation means that God's not distant. If you feel that God is distant, the truth is it's not because God's moved away, it's because you've moved away. It's not because God left you or abandoned you. It's because you have chosen to neglect pursuing him. And the thing is, if you want to know God personally, it's not enough to just come to church once a week. It's not enough for somebody to just pray for you here and there. It's not enough for just to know general truths about God. And maybe pray to him sometimes when you need him. That's not enough to know God. Because the fullness of God came in what? Human form in the person of Jesus Christ. Where do we get a lot of knowledge of Jesus Christ? When we read the Gospels. When we read the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. When we read the word of God, but not just read it, to know it, to immerse ourselves in it. There we experience the humanity of God. God's love, God's wisdom, God's brilliance, all of that that spoke the universe into motion in a physical, relatable form. Hey, if you're worried about next year and about the finances and the economy, Jesus can relate with you because he knows what it's like to be in financial difficulty. He can relate with you. Instead of asking him for more stuff, there is an opportunity to get closer to him and to see his grace work in you in deeper ways. You know, it's in the ordinary. We are, sometimes we're so obsessed with looking at big, extraordinary things. Like in my Christian life, I'm going nowhere. I'm not making any progress. There's no big thing like an angel hasn't come to me. Sometimes we, we want something spectacular, but it is often in the ordinary day-to-day -day things that we experience the deepness of God's joy, the richness of His love. It's the day-to-day -day stuff. It's the day-to-day -day coming to the Word of God and praying and just choosing to take that moment with Him. Jesus came in the most ordinary way, but packaged in that was a life-changing gospel. And in there we see that in the most ordinary way, we see his grace and joy transform our lives. It's the consistent things, everyone. It's the day-to-day -day things. 
that we neglect to do. Why? Because it's just not, it's boring, isn't it? Well, Jesus came in perhaps a very boring way. But he came for you. And if you would believe in it, you would experience the richness of his glory. Let us stand. I'm going to pray for some of you here. Just I think as the holiday season is sort of takes us on, on this, this journey of, um, you know, having fun with friends and family and, and going out and perhaps there's also a lot of distractions. Sometimes we can't shake the feeling that still there is no peace in here. There's still no peace. Like I don't feel whole. Like I want to have fun, but it's temporary. It's, there's no contentment. Just, and I want to pray for you guys. If, if there's anyone in here who just feels that way would you put your hand on your chest no matter what just the the fun and fluff and everything that, that's going on it still doesn't leave me at peace still doesn't get me that joy that I long for and I want that if you say I've had enough of pretending, I've had enough of living this way and I want that. I see your hand on your chest and let me pray for you, God. You know these people, Lord, that are coming to you in faith. Lord, help them to see that you truly came for them that you are a personal God and they can feel safe that because you came for them that you will fulfill whatever promise you have made promise of true joy promise of security promise of new life and identity that as we put our faith in you as we trust you Lord we will see your goodness in our lives and so, Lord, I ask that you fill their hearts with peace. Fill it with your peace and let your joy overflow in them. We thank you, God, for what you have been doing in this place. We thank you for what you have done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.